You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Three gay caballeros, they say we are birds of a feather. We're happy amigos, no matter where he goes. The one, two, and three goes, we're always together. We're three happy chappies. Welcome to Before They Were Alive, a monthly conversation about the Disney animated canon in chronological order. I'm Josh altman and with me as always is Michael Farmer. And today we are discussing the seventh film in the canon, 1944's The Three Caballeros. And although we are only seven movies in, we are a long, long way from Snow White and the Seven Doors. Are um, we ever? This movie, yeah, this movie is very different um, tonally and visually and just everything. It is, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's most similar to um, Saludos Amigos, which is the last one that we did, but... Um, yeah, even, even from there to here, there's, there's some differences. Uh, so I think I called Salados Amigos underwhelming on Twitter when I posted the link to this episode, that episode. Uh, mm-hmm. and if you've ever wanted to find, uh, Salados Amigos more bearable, I would suggest following it with a viewing of the three caballeros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as a, as a cultural artifact, I think there's, there's some things to be said for it, um, just with the idea of, you know, every every push forward in a medium or in a in a genre needs its first, you know, faltering steps. And I feel like in some ways, Three Caballeros um, is those those first teetering steps. Like it's it's got the the mix of the live action and the animation, uh, which is not good at all. No, no, <laughs> but, no. But, how would you fair, describe, right? let's let's talk about that for a second, Josh? How would you describe the uh, the the blend of live action and animation in this in this film? Um, so there is there's one scene where there is a um, a lady I don't know her name and she is uh, the actress's name. She is dancing with Donald Duck and she gives um, she gives a great effort because it's obvious that she's not dancing with anybody, um, but. Like Donald grabs her finger at one point and kind of spins around and um, yeah, she is giving a really good effort and I think is the closest to, um, you know, having a general idea of where Donald Duck would be in, in relation to her. Everybody else in this whole thing in the live action seems to have no idea where including apparently the directors and even the animators who are animating it later. Like they just don't seem to have any idea of where the animations are in relation to the people. It's just really bad. It's really bad. The the scenes where the whole groups like wave as um, Donald Duck and and his uh, friends uh, fly by, like it's, it's really bad. It's not in sync at all. Well, and, and the other thing is it often looks and you know you've you've read more about this movie than I have, so maybe you can tell me if my suspicion is correct. But it looks like they're just standing in front of a big video screen on which the the cartoon is put. So uh, in the in the Aurora Miranda section, she's dancing through Bahia with uh, with her kind of mid-century Hollywood musical 
friends and and the 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 town itself is cartoon and then Donald and Jose Carioca are also cartoons and it looks to me as if they were just standing in front of a screen on which the uh, on which the cartoons were projected. Do you do you know if that's how they did it? I actually I don't know how they did it. I don't know what what exactly the technology looked like, but unbelievably I think that's crappy. A good guess. Now, now, I mean, in some ways, we're not being fair, right? Because this is this is twenty years before Mary Poppins. It's it's uh, forty years, forty five years before Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But Disney did very early shorts that mixed live action and animation. So this is something they'd been working on for twenty years. Uh, yeah, and, and even so, it's kind of underwhelming. Yeah, but although I don't know how much they played with it in the intervening years. Although I guess so. There's a couple films not in the canon. Um, that came out around the same era where we're in now, which is um, the Reluctant Dragon and what's the Air Power? V is for Victory. Victory, Victory through Air Power. Victory through Air Power, yes. Um, which have some, I think they have some mix of live action and, and animation as well. I, I think I, I don't know if I've ever seen either of those films. I've seen both of them, but it's been a long time. I should have, I should have reviewed them. Yeah, well. No, you shouldn't have because <laughs> you didn't know I was going to bring him up. But anyway, so you're right. They have been playing around with it. I know that he was doing some stuff with Alice in Wonderland really early on, like in the 1920s. Those shorts are, to... are available on YouTube, I believe. Uh, they're creepy. They're not like, you know, early cartoons are difficult to watch anyway because the joy of the medium uh, came before any kind of plot or what we would recognize as quality. The, the fact mm-hmm. that we can do this is so exciting that we don't need to think about what we're doing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I mean, maybe looking at those Alice in Wonderland shorts, I, I think they're actually called Alice's Wonderland. Um, to, looking at those now and expecting them to tell a story or to be interesting beyond, oh my gosh, look, we can put this live action person into a cartoon background. I think that might be asking too much. The other thing is they're they're super low def. So, I, I mean, they, they get away with more because they look so low tech. And, and, and especially because they're in black and white, which already feels kind of dreamy. This is in uh, Technicolor, which, which means there's nowhere to hide uh, from the technological limitations. And then, and then there's the problem that they're not doing anything interesting with it anyway. So you, you have, you, you, you have, so, okay, great, you want to bring in live action and animation into the same movie. For what purpose? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like right. so, so what, this woman to whom we have no, absolutely no emotional connection can dance with Donald Duck? A lot of a couple women, <laughs> a couple women dance with them, and then a lot of women run away from them. In the so. in the hashtag Me Too era, I have to say the the back half of the Three Caballeros does not uh, does not go down easy. Yeah, this one was it was it was uncomfortable. I agree. I was like, if you if you haven't seen the movie and you, and you shouldn't, it, it's a terrible movie. But if you haven't seen it, the last twenty to thirty minutes of this movie are Donald Duck chasing women all over Mexico. So uh, Panchito is that his name? The third caballero. Yeah. Panchi, Panchito, the Mexican bird, uh, takes him sightseeing all over Mexico, and he and Jose Carioca have to physically restrain Donald Duck from throwing himself on these. Uh, these beautiful senoritas that he that he sees all over Mexico. It's yeah. really horrifying. And as, as you say, at one point they're like doing dive bombs on him from a flying carpet on, on the Acapulco beach, and the women yeah. are screaming in terror. <laughs> 
Yes. Not very well acted terror, but yes, <laughs> that is the impression that I think you're supposed to have. But, oh, yeah, it's just, it's very, it was very strange. Even that whole idea of like, what you just said, like dive bombing, you know, like, I mean, they're making the, the machine gun sounds and stuff like it's, uh, it was very unsettling. It was just weird. I was, I don't, I don't know. I was, so I, I um, actually, this is good because I, in, in our Snow White episode, we talked about uh, the civilizing effect that women have on men. Um, and But now we're in a, a kind of different sort of trope, I guess, of um, men completely losing their heads over women. Yeah. That's a, um, is, it, is it Jose Carioca who says, have you ever seen a wolf dressed as a duck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he calls him a wolf a couple times here. Uh, so... Yeah. It would, do you want to talk about the uh, literary history of that? I don't know about literary. <laughs> I don't know about the literary <laughs> history, but I mean, it, obviously that that was that was slang for a uh, a skirt chaser in the in the 1930s and 40s, um, and and it's obviously it's a particularly predatory term. It brings up uh, not Snow White, but another fairy tale, uh, Little Red Riding Hood. It's it's this notion that um, men are predatory and their prey are women. Uh, and 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 so you, you get that, and it's played for laughs because Donald Duck is ultimately harmless, right? I mean, the, he's a well-established character at this point, and anytime he tries to do anything, he ends up backfiring on him, and he and, and you know he uh, pitches a fit and gets nowhere. So on, on some level, he's not a, a, a credible threat to any of these women, at least as far as we're concerned. But I, I just think watching this movie in December 2017. It is very difficult to get around the the kind of cultural residences of his attitude toward women, which is not. I'm not saying let's go burn the prints of this, this movie or anything like that. It's just it, it makes it it makes it a a weird thing to watch in our point in in human culture. I think right, and especially as these are like supposed to be kind of ambassador type films right like these are yeah. supposed to be introducing the cultures to each other so like what is this saying about american culture and then what's it saying about mexican culture or brazilian culture and just you know some of those stereotypes like i feel like brazil even still um and maybe this is true of mexico too i don't know um there still are those stereotypes of the you know uh just highly sexualized or very sexy women live there or whatever, you know, like is kind of the stereotypes that you get of these countries. And I wonder, you know, does that predate this movie? Is that part, like, is this movie just part of that? Does it help start all that? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, Donald Duck is a sex tourist in the second half of the three caballeros. I mean, he, he's, he's going to Mexico to pick up all these women. Yeah. Yeah. There is a little bit of <laughs> so I mean we we have to mention that because I yeah it really I think it overshadows a lot of the rest of the film for me but there are some other parts of the film that actually are are good and educational and stuff so we will get to those but yeah this part I think yeah it was very weird to watch it and just Donald's just a disturbing guy there so
And then it goes into um, – so he, he finally gets his kiss that he's longing for, and then he goes into this um, love is a drug scene where he's just in complete psychedelia world. Um, the Disney acid sequence to end all Disney acid sequences. It's really – it was – again, going back to that idea of um, you know this being the first step in – you know, pushing boundaries or whatever into different types of animation or um, what can we do with the live action and animation together. I guess um, it's, it's interesting in that way, but it was not, not something that I would want to watch for fun. No. And I mean, it's not in, it doesn't feel inventive the way the similar sequence in Dumbo felt or the, the sequences in Fantasia or, or for that matter, the the Pleasure Island sequence of Pinocchio, it, mm-hmm. or or the 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 opening parts of the Brazil sequence from Saudas Amigas. It 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 feels left over from those things as much of this movie feels left over from Saudas Amigas. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's weird, and it does the live action animation hybrid in service of the acid sequence, but it's. Uh, I mean, do you need to see it? I don't, I don't think so. Unless you're really interested in this stuff and you're and you're trying to trace the history, as I guess we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, we had to unless watch. You're, unless you're a couple guys who want to do a podcast about the whole thing. Um, yeah, I don't know that it's something you need to see. Um, this at least has a little bit. I don't know. Would you call it better or worse? The way the live action inter- interacts with the animation here, with with her head being in a flower and stuff like that. I mean, that's at least a little. It's different, right? Like it's it's, it's taking not... advantage of their limitations rather mm-hmm. than trying to make it look realistic in, in in doing the hallucinatory quality of the of the sequence. It doesn't have to look realistic anymore. So right. the the the, fa- it, the fact that it looks kind of uncanny works toward its benefit at least a right. little bit. Or the the women's legs dancing underneath the animated horse that they're all riding on. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. sure if I'm sure if we had a feminist <laughs> a feminist film critic here, uh, she would she would have many things to say about about the implications of that sequence. Yeah, I just yeah, the, it was yeah, it was a little beyond beyond what I was used to or what I was yeah. looking for, I guess. I I um, read I think that a lot of children who encounter the three caballeros are very afraid of that particular sequence. Hmm. Yeah, I, I assume you you haven't been showing your kids three caballeros. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to show. I, I like to preview everything I show them. Still, um, I know that makes me weird in some people's eyes, but um, I hadn't seen it yet, so I didn't want to show it to them. Um, so, getting to some of the more, uh, I don't know, less <laughs> less weird parts of the film, I guess. I think they'd really enjoy the um, the penguin sequence just because they love everything penguins. And yeah, I think the, they really the penguin sequence the, is pretty good. Yeah, the so this movie starts stronger, uh, not strong, but it starts better, and it gets worse. Whereas I feel like um, Saludos Amigos was the opposite. It started pretty weak, and then it ended on a very high note. And this one just starts low and gets really low. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you say it starts stronger, the, the cold-blooded penguin is of a piece with the weaker segments of Salados Amigos. So it's about on the level of uh, Pedrito the Mailplane, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's exactly that. It's like making um, what, like it's supposedly some sort of attempt to teach us or to to introduce us to a culture, but it completely bypasses that culture completely, and it just is. Um, it's not even sightseeing. It's just a story of a, you know, like I didn't get anything about what was the the airplane was supposed to be Chile. Is that right? Chile, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can't even remember, right? Because I got nothing from Chile from that movie. In the same way that I got nothing about any of South America from the the penguin. But it's, you know, the 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 geography just becomes the background of it, basically. Yeah, is all yeah they, all it's it's this is not a short about South America. I mean, it it kind of winks at Chile. He 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 sails. I wrote down the names of the cities. He he sails past Santiago and Viña del Mar, and and you you kind of get a glimpse of them, but other than that, this is I mean this doesn't really have anything to do with South America. It's just a cute story that I suspect children would enjoy. Yeah, I will say the, that the the highlight of the entire uh, film to me was the the two second shot of this very stylized Viña del Mar. I mean, it's it's a it's a still shot essentially. He looks up from his map and sees it, and it looks very much like a city on a map. Uh, but mm-hmm. that 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 shot was I, I thought the best thing in the whole picture. Hmm. There are a couple places where there are some really, I mean, just really beautiful artwork, and a lot of times it's not animated. It's like what you just said, like it's like a still shot, um, and that's all, you know, and that's all you get of it. But there's a, there's a few really nice pieces in here. Um, and those those are the highlights of the film for sure. I, are are you also thinking of the um, Los Posadas, the 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 Mexican Christmas thing with the children parading? Yes. The, yeah, that that's Mary Blair for sure. Like the, those children mm-hmm. are that that's her that's her style. We we talked about her I think uh, pretty extensively last time, but uh, that that is her. And, and you know I think she was probably helped by the fact that some of Disney's animators got drafted during World War Two. Uh, Mary Blair wasn't going to get drafted, so she I think she probably had more say into how this movie looked than uh, she might otherwise have. Right. And, She's and, credited at the beginning as um, art supervision, so. Yeah, you can see a lot of her influence, uh, a lot of Mary Blair's influence throughout the film, and I think <laughs> the only that's a very redeeming quality of the film. I think is, is some of her artwork. Um, I also wanted to mention on that on that Mexico sequence, the Christmas Mexico sequence. Last time, um, I had complained that there was very little about religion in a in a obviously very uh, in in these cultures that are obviously very influenced by um, Christianity and and. Um, and then this time we did get it. And I thought, and you were, you had said last time, kind of like, well, we don't want to see uh, Donald making the sign of the cross, which I completely agreed with. But I felt like it was fairly tasteful, that Mexican sequence with the with the kids doing the Christmas celebration. Agreed, yeah. And, and the, the joke wasn't on them at all. There was no joke about religion. They They had this kind of educational bit where we learned what Mexican children do. Uh, the nine days leading up to Christmas, and then it cuts to the gag, which is Donald attempting to break open a pinata. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, it was uh, really nice. The gag went on way too long, right? It wasn't. It wasn't all that funny. And I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was kind of mean that the other two caballeros, like it's his birthday, they blindfold him, and then they keep pulling on the rope to make the pinata disappear. Right. 
Um, yeah. So I have, a, I have a quote from the Disney biography where um, James Agee, if I'm saying his name right, A-G-E-E, uh-huh. um, he's, he detects a, quote, streak of cruelty in Caballeros, a streak he thought had been gathering force for years in Disney films, uh, perhaps as Walt's retribution for the tribulations he felt he had suffered. Um, and I know this was a really difficult time in Walt's life, um, so I don't know if that made him more um, open to seeing uh, – to allowing these things to get by him that maybe he wouldn't have before, or if it was just, uh, you know, the, this is a, at the height of world war two. Um, so there's, you know, a lot of turbulation just in the world. Um, but yeah, I just, I wonder this, this film did feel more mean to me than what we've generally seen in the past. Yeah. Even, even from the, Donald Duck stuff in the in the last movie. It, 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 you're right. I, I think Ag has it. That th- this is this movie is cold and cruel in a way that we really haven't seen before. Yeah. And, we, th- and with, to be fair, we would we we won't see a whole lot going forward either. Yeah, it's kind of. Um, yeah, maybe it's just of that time, or it's just a, a step that they took and then they you know pulled back from or or whatever, but. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people give this. I mean, I think Disney just kind of has this, you know, Disney, the company, not Disney, the man has this kind of reputation of being, um, I don't know, very clean and very, how would you put it? That that kind of reputation they have just the family, not it's family friendly, but it's not just that. Like, it's like it's too polished or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That it's kind of neutered. Yeah, that would be a good way to put it. And that that. That is definitely not true of this movie. So if that's if that's your criticism of, of Disney, then at least in this movie, that's not true. Yeah, it, it it almost seems like it would come more easily from Warner Brothers. You have that that bird that runs throughout it, and I wrote it down. I have to look it up. The uh, Araquan bird, who, who's mm-hmm. a, a force for pure chaos, who's introduced early on in the movie and comes back uh, to destroy things. He he does seem like a uh, he seems like something out of Looney Tunes rather than something out of the Disney stable. Right. Yeah. Um, Ward Kimball is responsible, I think, for that um, bit, and I think he was kind of pushing that. It was kind of a, re, re, you know, reflection or sorry, a, a movement away from the realism that that Disney had been spearheading to where they're you know now doing things with animation that's very unrealistic and. Um, in that scene that you're talking about with the crazy bird, um, you know, the, the rules don't apply. So whereas in Pinocchio, um, we had that Roger Ebert quote where he was talking about how you really got the sense that Maestro was off the screen and to the right. Like there was this, this, uh, this sense of you're looking at, um, something real and there's a sense of where everything is. Um, and then now that's moving away to this idea where, and we see it a lot in cartoons today where, you know, characters can go behind a tree and then pop up from a, from a completely different part of the scene. Like you lose all that, that sort of tethering to reality and physical laws and stuff like that. Yeah. Which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that style. I mean, like I said, that's, that's Looney Tunes and who doesn't love the Looney Tunes shorts? But I don't think it's something Disney does particularly well. Even even the the kind of chaotic characters like Donald Duck, they don't really inhabit that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And it's interesting because it's, um, you know, I, I agree. I, I consider that to be the Warner Brothers style versus the Disney style. But it's interesting that Disney was doing it in some ways before Warner Brothers. Like Warner Brothers almost picked up from this, you know, this um, weird tributary <laughs> that Disney went down for a little bit with three Caballeros um, and then took that and kept running with it. Um, whereas Disney seems to have pulled back. And I think some of that was just within the studio. The different animators within the studio had different ideas about what they wanted the the movies to be like, and Ward Kimball was one who was more on that um, Warner Brothers side of things. When we talked about Snow White, I, I think we both brought up the fact that, that Walt really had this movie planned out to the beat, and he would just act it out for the, for the animators. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong to think he's not doing that anymore? That by the time this comes around, there's a there's a power struggle among the animators for what the what the movie's going to look like. Yeah, I think that's really right. There's there seems like there's there's very little. He is, Disney has been giving more and more power to the animators um, throughout this process. But yeah, this seems it seems at this point that he's got very little involvement with with the movies in general. I don't know exactly what he was doing, but um, just studio life. Um, you know, the responsibilities of being a studio chief and um, seem to have taken over for him. Because the, the the word I wrote down several times in my notes was uninspired. Hmm. And and if you associate Walt Disney with nothing else, it's, it's got to be inspiration, right? He's, he's this mm-hmm. visionary. This movie doesn't really have a vision. Whereas no, I felt even, like... even Solidos Amigos had one. Yes. I felt like even the... Yeah, even the framing structure is harder to follow in this one than um, than it's Ludos Amigos. Like, so Donald gets these presents, and then um, they're supposedly from his friends in in Latin America, and he's opening them up um, to to view the different countries. But I I don't know. Like, it just it didn't. I don't know if it was the in in Ludos Amigos you kind of get the live action shots um, feeding into the short. Um, or, and you don't have that here. I don't know if that's what it was, but I just, I, I felt very, I felt like it was very difficult to be grounded in a place as you're watching it. Like, you know, where, what are we seeing? What are, is this the next story? Is this the same story? Like what's going on? Right. So. Yeah. Cause I tried to divide my notes up based on the shorts and you can't do it. I mean, does, when, when does the short Bahia begin and when does it end? Mm-hmm. You know, and and so, I agree, yeah. and I I wonder if that was on purpose. If they're if they're trying to do something interesting with the structure, it certainly accounts for why the pieces here are less familiar than from the other package films of the '40s. Because mm-hmm. how do you divide these up? You know, other than the other than the uh, penguin, which I think would be fairly easy to do, although even then it's connected to what comes before and what comes after it in a way that would make it difficult to lift it. I I, I think it would be hard to cut any of these out and put them, repackage them the way so many of the other segments from the package films were repackaged. Yeah. And so, charitably, that is a, you know, that's that's a nice thing in some ways, right? That it's, yes, it's a pack, it's a series of package films, but they they run into each other in such a way that the you know that it's very blurred as far as where one ends and where one starts. Like, and in some ways, that sounds really good um, as we say it. But as you watch it, I don't know. It just gave me a, I don't know. It, it 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 just never felt rooted in anything. It never felt like you said, like inspired. There was a vision for what was happening. It just felt 
um, kind of off the off the cuff, you know, like, oh, this thing, it wasn't a nice sort of um, like segueing or, or fading as much as it just felt like, well, we've run out of ideas here. Let's fall into something else. Yeah. You know, you know what it feels like uh, to, to use a musical analogy? It feels like an album of B-sides. So I'm thinking Tom Petty died this year. I'm a big Tom Petty fan. So I, I I think of this in some ways as the soundtrack to uh, She's the One. Do you know that album? Songs and music inspired by, I don't remember what it's called, but it's 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 an album ostensibly, but it's for the movie She's the One. Okay, I'm not familiar with it. That's fine. It's not bad. It's a, it's a much better album than this is a movie, but it's a, it, it's similar, I think, in that these are things that were kind of left over in the studio after he recorded Wildflowers, which is, you know, everybody loves the Tom Petty record Wildflowers. So he kind of writes a few extra things, re-records some things, and puts out this album, She's the One, that has multiple versions of the same songs and little sound experiments that are not songs in themselves. It, it, it's a, you know, there's some good stuff on there, but it's not really an album. And it's certainly not an album the way Wildflowers is an album. And I would say that this is not this is neither a movie, nor is it a package movie. Do you know what I mean? So the the yes. next three or four things we're going to watch are are just blatantly collections of shorts with no attempt to put them together. Uh, the first five we watched, with maybe the exception of Fantasia, were cohesive narratives. Salados Amigos is a package film that nevertheless has a cohesive narrative running through it so it feels like a movie. Mm-hmm. Three Caballeros is neither of those things. So it, 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 it wants to have a through line but doesn't have a strong enough one to not be a package film. But it has too strong of a through line to be a package film. So it, it feels like leftovers put together uh, insufficiently. Yeah. Oh, I think I, that is a great way to put it. I think B-Sides is a really nice uh, way to think of this film, especially in relation to Saludos Amigos. It's not really a sequel to Saludos Amigos as much as it is just the B-Sides of it. Um, and and to think, actually, that, you know, I know they were, they were tight on time because they're trying to create this goodwill um, in the face of the war happening around the world in World War II, and they are um, tight on money. But to just think of, you know, if they had, and they're, they're short on animators. I mean, they had, they had gone through the strike at this time. People are being drafted, as you said. Like, I mean, this is not, they're not operating from a position of strength. But to just think, like, what could have been if, um, you know, they had just put out one film. Like, instead of Saludos Amigos and Three Cabreros, like, if it was just, you know, they'd really taken the time and done it right. Você já foi à Bahia, nega, não? Então vá. Lá tem Batapá, lá tem Caruru, lá tem Mugunçá. Se quiser sambar, nas sacadas do Sobral, na Vela São Salvador. Is there anything from... Three Caballeros you would have kept? I mean, would you have bumped the Gaucho Goofy and put in uh, the Cold-Blooded Penguin instead? 
Um, I I liked the the bureaus, the burrow, the um, burrito, the donkey burrito. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I liked that. I liked that scene. I thought the the Pegasus donkey was cute. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything stellar, but I felt like it was probably um, as far as a longer. So before we had mentioned that the highlights of the film are really like mostly these still images that you get right there where there's just some beautiful, stunning artwork. Um, but as far as like a piece of the film, I feel like that was, that was the best piece. I, I just, I find it pretty uninspired. It's, it's a weird premise and it's such a weird premise that I don't understand why it doesn't hold together for me better. Cause I, I found it kind of boring. So, so it, for those of you who haven't seen it, it involves a young gaucho, a gauchito, um, who goes out looking for condors and instead finds a flying donkey whom he then captures and tames and enters into a horse race uh, which he of course wins because he can fly and then they fly off together and are never heard from again except that the narrator has already been established to be the gauchito have grown up it, it's 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 really weird. It, it feels like it feels like they had a great idea and then only had a couple hours to write the actual short. Right. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is, in my alternate world, like where these are like a single film, it's not that this would just be like lifted as is and placed into Saludos Amigos and made Saludos Amigos better. Like, like it's it's like you said, like it's extra stuff that was left over, either because. They didn't have the time for it, or maybe it just wasn't that good of an idea. But they just had to go with something. But like, I feel like this could have been polished into something good. In the same way, like in Saludos Amigos, I mean, it really the the burrito reminded me the most of the scene in Saludos Amigos with the llama. Um, like very similar, like sort of playful animal style and the cute kid that goes with it, right? And so. Right. Um, you almost wonder if, you know, the the llama scene was cute, but you feel like they almost could have done more with it, right? Like there wasn't enough of it, or it, it just wasn't it wasn't polished. Like I think that's just the word I'm going to keep coming back to is these things just aren't polished. And it's the same thing with the burrito. Like it just doesn't feel polished. But you almost wonder, like, could you've, I don't know, could you spent more time on one or the other, or somehow brought them together um, in a way that would have actually created something more memorable and I don't know have one really good album rather than two kind of not good albums like in your Tom Petty analogy you have a great album in Wildflowers and then a, a bunch of B-sides right uh-huh. but in, in the problem with Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros is neither one of those is Wildflowers like they're yeah just, that's right you have a mediocre you, know, you have a mediocre movie and then a bad movie yes I'll be interested to see if we watch anything that's as bad as this. I, I have not seen some of the legendarily terrible. I've never seen The Black Cauldron, and I've, I haven't seen Treasure Planet or Atlantis or Home on the Range. But it is difficult for me to think of a movie, uh, of another Disney feature that's as bad as Three Caballeros. And it's not yeah. even bad in a fun way. It's not even the sort of bad where you could have fun ragging on it. It's just weak. Yeah, I agree. And I'm actually very curious about that, too. That was part of, you know, my um, when I when we kind of started this whole thing, I was like, you know, there's a bunch of Disney films that I hear stuff about, but I've never seen. And so I'd like to just sit down and watch them all 
and watch them in order and see kind of what can be gained from that. <laughs> and so <laughs> I don't know what we're gaining here, but <laughs> maybe something. All right, let's say a couple good things about it and then maybe uh, wrap it up. So um, there's a scene where the book uh, – so Donald's, Donald's gift from uh, Jose is a book, and uh, it's kind of like a pop-up book. And um, they're going through Brazil, and they, they pop it up um, into a train, and then they hop on the train and go. And I felt like that – I mean, it's only, I don't know, what, 45 seconds long or something. But that little train sequence I really, really enjoyed. Agreed. It was really pretty. It was like chalk. The, the, they're, they're animated as normal, but the, the train and its route are all, all made of chalk. Mm-hmm. And it was just very playful and very – I don't know. It was um, – it looked different than other things. Like it was very bright colors against the back, black background, and it looked um, looked wonderful. It was it was actually fun and playful, and um, yeah, so I really enjoyed that. Um, the other highlight of the movie for me was um, so in order to go into the book, Jose shrinks Donald down, um, and then. Uh, Donald wants to look at more of his presence, but he's too small to do it. And so Jose shows him how to um, make himself big. And I thought the 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 animation sequence of Donald trying to um, so Jose shows him by doing a little magic, and and he and Jose blows on his finger, and it he blows up like a balloon and and becomes back to his normal size. Donald tries to do the same thing, but blows on his thumb, and he ends up going into all these bizarre um, balloon shapes. And I th- I thought it was good. Yeah, and that too, that too feels very Warner Brothers. But yeah, I agree. It's more successful than some of the other insanity mm-hmm. they, they try to pull off in, in, in these uh, in these shorts. Right. I thought I thought it, it it rang closer to something like I think Warner Brothers is a good one. I think also um, we've mentioned it here already. The Pink Elephants, like it, I think, harkens back to that a little bit. Like just the you know the stretching sort of shapes and things, you know, like, um, yeah, I thought, I thought that was a nice little sequence. Again, it's only, I don't know, 45 seconds long. So we're talking about, you know, maybe (laughs) if you put the still images together with, with those couple highlights, you know, maybe you could get five minutes of, of really spectacular things out of this movie. But well, did you have any other, other highlights? Yeah. The sequence is terrible, but I love the song. You belong in my heart. Mm hmm. Uh, which is not original to this uh, to this movie. I think Bing Crosby had already sung it uh, by this time. Certainly, he he had a hit with it. Uh, but it was I I, I really love that song, and I love that it is you know this this movie has has given it to a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have heard it. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, the sequence around it is terrible, and I, I think probably the worst part of the movie is the "You Belong You Belong to My Heart." Uh, segment uh particularly uh when donald's eyes reflect the live action dora loose oh my goodness yes it's so creepy because oh, he's blinking super creepy but the song itself is great and if you you know if you don't want to watch the movie go find a good version of you belong to my heart uh bing crosby i know did it and uh, there's a there's a great version by the country rock band the old 97s uh but, but uh, that that's you know, looking for nice things to say beyond the the train, the uh, the stylized cities, uh, and the song I, I, is difficult. There, there's, yeah. there's just not much worth regarding in Three Caballeros. Yeah, 
I did like the music. I did like the music throughout. Um, I thought it was good. Um, so, yeah, yeah, but even even the music wasn't as good as Solidus Amiga. So the the song "Have You Ever Have You Ever Been to Bahia" is not as good as the Brazil song from Solidus Amigas. And as yeah. the as the sequence is kind of a bland copy of it, the 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 song is kind of a bland copy of it. Yeah. Although, so um, yeah, my my highlight from that was the the use of the instrumentation as these guys are following her around dancing. So I just, um, it struck me in a different way, I guess, seeing them playing it live, quote unquote live versus, um, the animation of it in Saludos Amigos, just the, um, that communal percussion is really interesting to me. Like they're each, um, you know, they're each just doing one little thing on their instrument. Um, but it comes together into this really interesting, uh, rhythm, which I thought was really cool. Um, so that was that was a win in the um, you know uh, creating goodwill between cultures thing. Like I'm very much instrument interested now in looking into some more Brazilian um, <laughs> percussion instruments, and particularly the one. Did you see um, the guy who has it in his it? mouth? Yeah, the teeth thing. What I was that? I don't know that? what that was. What I don't know what that, that was. Instrument? I want to know what that is because that was that was really interesting and. I, I couldn't figure it out. Like what, he had like a little box under his arm. So the lady's dancing and this guy is playing this instrument for her. And it's, it's some sort of percussion instrument that it's clicking. I think it was clicking against his teeth and he has a box under his arm, which I couldn't tell if that was connected to the instrument somehow or not. It was, it was really interesting. So I need to go and do a little more research on, on that. Just think so. Josh, you, you and your family could form some sort of, Brazilian come American come Chinese <laughs> percussion ensemble. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's, yeah. Um, yeah, this is probably not important to mention, but saying that in that way just struck it in my head. So they ha- they fly around on a magic serape, which um, is a like the Mexican blanket thing, but it's like a flying carpet, which is more um, like from... Middle Eastern. Yeah, Middle Eastern is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Um, so they just—I I was wondering, does Mexico also have like a have that, or was that a? Um, they're just blending cultures haphazardly. Um, at least they called it. At least they called it a serape instead of just a, a flying carpet. That's like, true. I don't. I don't know. I've never. You know. I don't. I don't know very much about Mexico, but uh, I've, I've never heard of that tradition. So if they're making it up, at least they're using, at least they're using a Spanish word. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, yeah. To my heart, now and forever, and our love had its start not long ago. We were gathering stars while a million guitars played our love song. When I said I love. So, anything else to say about just the overall? I mean, we've we've I think we've covered it. But 
So um, I believe I believe that the three caballeros were the first uh, characters to show up in Epcot Center. I could be wrong about that. So the the back part of Epcot Center, the second theme park at Walt Disney World, is World Showcase. So it's a series of um, a series of countries kind of laid out, and one of them is Mexico. Well, when when the Mexico Pavilion opened in 1982, it had an incredibly boring ride called uh, El Rio del Tiempo, the River of Time, and you would go back and learn about Mexican history. Sometime in the 90s, Michael Eisner decided that that ride wasn't exciting enough, so he he uh, spiced it up with the Three Caballeros, and now it's even worse. <laughs> now it's even worse than it was before. Great idea. <laughs> yeah. Great and idea. It, and it opened up. It opened up characters coming into the World Showcase, which, to me, is an unmitigated disaster. Because the idea here is immersion. Like you're supposed to feel like you're in these countries. You don't. I'm sure. I've, the the United States and Canada pavilions, at any rate, certainly don't immerse you. Uh, and the, those are the two I'd be qualified to judge. But um, but now, now they got rid of the uh, the Norway pavilion and made it basically just frozen. Yeah. So that's <laughs> so so we can blame the three caballeros for ruining Epcot Center as well. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the. Um you know, the Disneyification of things and just the neutering of it, right? Like, you don't you don't get actual Norway. You get the frozen version of Norway. Well, um, and to be fair, what they had before was also Disneyfied, but at least it wasn't a cartoon. Yeah. So. At, least it, at least it made an effort to tell you about Norway. And to be fair, the, the... Oh, I forget what they call it now. It's not El Rio del Tiempo anymore. It's it's the uh, La Gran Fiesta featuring the Three Caballeros. That does still try to teach you about Mexican culture. I don't know what mm. Donald and Jose Carioca are doing there, since neither one of them is Mexican. Uh, <laughs> no, they they hang out together. They're all learning together. It's That's a learning true. community. Pa- Ponchito <laughs> can teach can teach them. Uh, you're with me that Ponchito is supremely annoying, right? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't impressed by him. <laughs> like Donald Duck is awesome. Jose Carioca is very charming in Salados Amigos. Uh, Ponchito Ponchito just shoots his guns off a lot. Yeah, he's kind of Yosemite Sam. Yeah, he is. Basically, we've been we've been using Warner Brothers as a lot of criticism in this, and I, I really do enjoy the the Warner Brothers, uh, the Looney Tunes, and the Merry Melodies and stuff for the most part. But it's not a shot um, at it's not a shot at Warner Brothers. It's just to say that it's not easy to do what Warner Brothers does, and and the 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 kind of Disney style doesn't lend itself to that. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, I like Yogi Bear too, but I wouldn't want I wouldn't want a Donald Duck movie that that worked like Yogi Bear. Mm. Yeah, well, that, that is kind of a shot at Yogi Bear. Hanna Barbera is not that good. <laughs> <laughs> not going to disagree with you. Um, yeah. So, educationally, these movies. Um, I would say mostly fall flat. There's a little bit. There's a there's a nice sequence of, um, with where where you learn a little bit about the birds um, before the crazy bird comes in, which is not a real bird. Um, I enjoyed uh, he, that. He is actually. I I, uh, I looked it up. He is based on an actual bird in Brazil that's related to the turkey. 
Oh, really? Oh, okay. I think IMDB is wrong then, because I think IMDB was telling me that he's not a real bird. Um, I followed a trail on Wikipedia, so it's, okay. not like, it's not like my source is any more credible than yours. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they could have expanded that whole scene. I would have really enjoyed <laughs> – throw away most of this movie. I would have enjoyed a long – just a long Disney feature where they go through different kinds of birds in the world, <laughs> and you see cute little animated versions of them, and um, – I, I would go for that over the Hey, your your sure. mouth to God's ears, man. I'd watch that movie. I'd watch that movie over <laughs> two and a half hours long. I love birds. I do too. Birds are really really fascinating. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so somebody make it happen. So if the ghost of Walt Disney is listening to this, go back in time and make that movie instead of the Three Caballeros. Please, yeah. Disney's Birds of Latin America. There we go. That would have been a good movie, I think. It would have been better than this one, I'm sure. So. Next time we've got Make Mine Music, which uh, uh, my recollection of is not great, uh, but is better than this. Um, yeah, I don't know how Disney feels about it. So either Disney really likes it or really doesn't like it, because this is one that is not available digitally. So either that, and I, I know it's not in the Disney Vault, because the Disney Vault is like the classic classic. So I'm guessing it means that <laughs> the Disney company doesn't really care for it, because um, it's not available um, digitally. You have to get this one on uh, some sort of physical media. Whereas with the... With the Disney Vault, sometimes they're not available digitally because they love them so much that they want to release them at special times. So, I, I, I will say, if you do get a DVD of it, it's gonna, it's likely gonna be missing the first short from that, from the original package, the uh, Martins and the Coys, I think it's called. It's a, it's an elaborate parody of the Hatfields and the McCoys. Uh, I think that's available on YouTube. So, if you, if you're watching along with us for, for. Uh, Make mine music. Make sure you make sure you watch that initial short. It will it will be immediately obvious to you why they have removed it from the from the from the home video. <laughs> so we have that to look forward to. It must be pretty bad for them to immediately remove that and to have left that whole back end of three caballeros in, man. Yeah, yeah. It's well, you'll see. <laughs> all right, I can't wait. Um, all right. Well, our desire, Michael and I's desire, is for this to be an ongoing conversation. So if you want to tell us what we got right and what we got wrong about Three Caballeros, if you want to save me some uh, Googling and research on Brazilian instruments and you happen to know about them, uh, you can email us at beforetheywerelive at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. Um, I'm at the alt with an underscore in between the and alt, the underscore alt. And Michael is at Michael Farmer. Uh, our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. And uh, please... Uh, check us out and check out our other shows. We're a proud member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network, and you can find all those shows at christianhumanist.org.